we ought to tee up the next season or do you want to tee that up, you know, at the end of this thing? You'll have to stick around to find out. Welcome back to the final episode of this bonus series for the Disciples Made podcast. My name is Hannah Wellborn and I am with Brian Phipps today. And today's question that we are answering... Formerly Hannah Phipps. Stop. (laughs) Today's question that we are answering is, who influenced you the most? Did someone disciple you? And what were the most critical discipleship growth steps in your journey this is a lot this is personal yeah it is i like the question two guys in college came to my dorm room and uh invited me to be a part of a a a deal that they were doing and i did and that was huge i mean i'm getting inside the life of these older guys who are clearly further ahead in their faith than i am who kind of called me out and said uh you, uh, you, you, you talk like you are all about uh, Jesus and stuff, but your life doesn't quite add up to it. And man, just getting in their proximity um, week after week was huge. And then they, I was invited to go on this weekend. It's kind of a youth training event um, at this church in South Carolina. I went to this thing with them, and I have never seen anything like what happened that weekend. There was a huge... Um, pouring out of God's spirit onto that youth experience. And, and, and it led to a revival that actually the youth um, ended up being a huge part of the revival of that church. So just two guys in college that were older than me who invested in me were, were significant. Um, a little bit later after that, I got involved with a youth ministry um, uh, in that area. The pastor, his name was Jimmy Turner. And he did something really unique and powerful uh, in which a lot of the stuff that we do at Disciples Made is modeled after. He had a weekly uh, meeting of all of the people that volunteered in the youth ministry. Uh, He was the youth leader. He was in his late 50s, early 60s at the time, uh, which is strange. You know, you know, I've got a 55 year old youth leader. But what he would do is he would recruit a lot of us college student types um, and he would disciple us. And in turn, we would partner with him in leading the youth ministry. It was brilliant. That was a three generational model. So if you look back at last week's question, that question was about how do we get to multiple generations? Well, Jimmy modeled that for me early, early on. It was incredible. So um, I got that weekly meeting with other people and half the meeting was a Bible study and the other half was planning on how to do the youth ministry. And he also had bi-weekly individual times with me. And that is when my life just started to really uh, develop in a big way. The interesting thing was this guy was a youth pastor, but there were also some other really incredible leaders in that church, pastors, speakers, ones that were extraordinarily impressive uh, from the pulpit and from the Bible study room, they had massive crowds of people that always wanted to hear them teach. And, uh, and I deeply respected those guys. Uh, and I thought they would be the ideal disciple makers. But what's interesting is that gifting worked great with teaching. It worked great with training, but it wasn't so hot uh, with disciple making. Jim, Jimmy's the one 
that figured that out. When I went on to seminary, there were some key guys uh, there that really shaped who I wanted to be. Um, Richard Pratt was one of them, and uh, Gary Rupp was another. Uh, basically, I thought I would be discipled in seminary through the content. That was still when I was very a content-focused individual. Um, but what the, the biggest influences in seminary weren't uh, so much what I learned, although that was extraordinarily significant, but I learned by watching the different professors and how they lived their lives and how they lived together. I learned who I wanted to emulate and who I didn't want to emulate. I also learned another important lesson, who I couldn't <laughs> emulate. Um, there were very, very gifted professors. R.C. Sproul was a part of uh, the uh, staff there at the time. And I wanted to be able to preach like him, and I realized I couldn't. So to me, seminary, and uh, as far as shaping me as a disciple, was kind of learning, who do I want to be like? Um, what kind of personality traits aren't going to suit me? Uh, realizing the voice that God had given me and to be authentic to that voice and not trying to be someone uh, that I can't. Um, interestingly enough, I really couldn't find a mentor in my denomination after seminary. I wanted one. Um, and I couldn't find someone to the, basically have that Paul relationship in my life. So I actually ended up going to a local college for that. The president of a local college where I lived in central Florida, uh, was a mentor for me on a biweekly basis for uh, almost the entire time I was there. And that was huge. A few years after that, I met this guy, Dan Sutherland, at a purpose-driven conference. Dan was kind of the head of church transition stuff at the time, and I remember seeing him up on the platform and thought, man, I was just starstruck, and I can't wait for him to hear this podcast because we've now been friends for about 19 years after that and worked together in many different uh, ways. But at that point, I was just super starstruck with this guy's commitment, his faith, his ability to communicate and lead. I wanted to be just like him. He ended up moving to Charlotte, and uh, and I asked him to consult me. I was like, I just want to get close to him, so I'll pay him to consult me. And uh, what he did was powerful, and he had a strategy, I think, behind this. He offered to coach me for free as long as I applied what he taught me. And I said, I'm all in. And he's become a long-term friend and has been a major influence on me Um it's somewhat in, in, in teaching me a little bit. He, he, he didn't teach an awful lot, but he was someone who was willing to share wisdom and experience. I asked him a ton of questions. I must have annoyed him. Why'd you do this? Why didn't you do this this way? If I would have been you, I would have done it this way. Why didn't you do it that way? And just perceive, just always watching him lead and how he led. And um, again, this goes back to the modeling thing that I mentioned a couple of, of minutes ago, just watching him lead, watching him be the person asking questions. That was the life on life disciple making that we had. And that kind of thing still continues today. And we're a mutual benefit uh, to one another because of that. One of the other uh, things that I do as far as perpetual disciple making for myself is I always keep the most conservative people that I know and trust close to me to make sure that I don't go off the reservation. I tend to be one of these uh, guys who tries to innovate. I'm never really satisfied with the status quo. I keep pressing into things and, and learning from people that um, uh, don't necessarily share my thoughts in order to try to, to get better. But I keep conservative voices close to me 
to make sure that I don't go off the reservation. And that's been huge. I also try to keep the most liberal voices close to me to make sure that the reservation doesn't become the goal. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to stop. I don't want to get to a point um, before I actually just can't keep going anymore because I'm too old. I don't ever want to get to the point where I'm fully satisfied with where we are. I want to keep going and I need those voices pushing into me to get there. So I'll wrap this up by just kind of giving the model that I follow. If I want to be growing as a disciple and as a disciple maker for the rest of my life, I need a Paul in my life. I need someone that's further ahead of me, that's older than me. Uh, that list is getting shorter and shorter as life goes on, uh, which is why all these others are so, so critical. I need a Barnabas. I need a person that's beside me. I need several of those Barnabases that are at a similar position in life and a similar growth area in life that can walk alongside and encourage. I need Timothys to pour into. Those are people that are younger than me, yet let uh, excuse me, less developed in the faith because I learn more and more about who I am by seeing myself in them as I coach them and encourage them. And I think Dan Sutherland would say that I have fulfilled that role. Uh, for him, along with countless others as well. And that's such a huge benefit. And the, I'll give one more kind of uh, profile to consider. And it's a profile based off of a real person uh, in Hugh Halter's book, Flesh. He, has, he mentions a friend in there called Roscoe. And this is an individual that Hugh just wanted to model Jesus to, you know, we are the ambassadors of Jesus. We're the ones that get to represent him down here. And we need people to see Jesus in us. And, and Roscoe was a friend, actually, um, even closer than a friend, to, to Hugh um, because there's some special family relationships developing there. And uh, he just wanted to uh, model Jesus, and he did so. And so we call those folks that don't quite share our faith with us Roscoe's in the Disciples Made model. And so what I'm always going to have so that I can continue to grow for the rest of my life is I'll have a Paul in my life. I'll have a Barnabas. I'll have a Timothy and I'll have a Roscoe. And we uh, encourage the same model uh, for you. So that model is used in the Disciples Made experiences, which we have a lot of really cool updates um, to our process, including our technology, our team. Um, you want to share a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, and you're right. We, we build the Paul and the Barnabas and, and the, all those into these experiences so that those become part of who you are. That helps you become a disciple, uh, that is made. Um, we are developing a new and more powerful app. It'll become a native app. Uh, both with Android and with iOS. Um, and what it's going to help you do is develop and maintain uh, that mentor network. It's going to have kind of a social uh, component where you can share with your friends and invite friends into that. So you can have your Timothys and Roscoe's. Of course, it'll help you grow with the Pauls and Barnabases in your life in these groups. And of course, this is a, a huge upgrade um, and helping you develop these lifelong habits and becoming a disciple maker that's multiple generations deep. We're making a huge investment to do this and we need your financial partnership. So if this is something that makes sense to you, you'll see in the program notes below 
that we have a link to our donation page. You can go there and you can make a contribution or you can set up a recurring contribution. If you'd like to hear more about how we're planning to uh, develop a more comprehensive team to support disciple makers and the expansion of 70,000 disciple makers who are catalyzing character and calling in 2 million people, email me at podcast at disciplesmade.com. We'd love to get something calendared with you so we can share more specifically our strategy for making this happen to see if Disciples Made might be a good place uh, for you to partner with to make this happen. We'd be honored by that conversation and we'd be honored by your contribution. Certainly hope that these uh, bonus episodes, whatever bonus episode means, have been meaningful. They're your questions. We're grateful for the opportunity to answer them. Hannah, we, before we sign off here, we need to start talking about what's coming up next. We are so excited to share with you our season four, the six least likely yet most necessary trends we must see in disciple making. We will see you next week for the trailer of season four. We hope that what you heard today was an encouragement to you or that it increased your curiosity in making disciples that make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our experiences or set up a coaching call, you can visit us at disciplesmade.com or email podcast at disciplesmade.com.